Will you pray with me? Our Father, we once again come before you in prayer. And we ask, O oh Lord, for your, your help as we open your word together. We ask that your Holy Spirit might give us understanding and in insight and illuminate our minds and our hearts with your truth. May you, O oh Lord, Move by your Holy Spirit upon us, O oh God. Help us to realize the wonder again of so great a salvation that you have given us in Jesus Christ. And also, Father, the commission that you have placed upon us to know him and to make him known. So to that end, Father, we give uh, these moments together now in your word to you and pray that you would use it in each of us and in this body to your glory and to your praise. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you to turn, please, to Psalm 117. Psalm 117. And I'd like to read this psalm uh, for us. Uh, it is a very uh, short psalm. In fact, it is the shortest uh, of all the psalms, and it's the shortest chapter, if you would, in the Bible. And the psalmist writes these words, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love towards us, and the, faithfulness, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Uh, this psalm is part of uh, the Hebrew uh, hymn book. These uh, psalms that we have uh, recorded in Scripture for us were sung uh, as part of the worship uh, of the Jewish people of, uh, of Jehovah God. And you may not... Uh, know this, but Psalm 117 comes very close to the very center of the Bible, which is actually Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9, which says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. So if you want to know what the very center of the Bible says, it's this, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. And the next verse says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. So don't put your faith in people, don't put your faith in politicians, put your faith in the Lord and in Him alone. Now, you'll notice here that this psalm is a universal or global call for the nations to praise the Lord. And I, I want you to just stop for a moment and think about that. Can you imagine the, the Jewish people who, who over time became very exclusive and, and sort of inward focused actually singing as part of their worship a, a psalm that said their God, Jehovah God, uh, was to be praised by all the nations and peoples of the world. Even in their worship, they were being compelled to be thinking beyond themselves 
you know, to the world around them to be a witness and a testimony to the true and living God. And you'll notice that in verse 1 is this call or this command uh, to praise the Lord. And you'll notice that in the first verse, it says, praise the Lord, all you nations. It's, it's, it's a broad command. Uh, it's, it's to all the nations. Uh, the, the root word of that word nations is the Hebrew word goyim, which means the Gentiles, the non-Jews. So this was meant to be a call to all the nations of the world, all the non-Jewish nations of the world, which would include every nation that's out there. Uh, and you'll notice that uh, this is where it, this command is directed. And, and he goes on to say, extol him, all you peoples. And that's the way the NIV chooses to translate that word, extol. In some translations, it's the word loud him, which means to glorify, to claim, to acclaim, to honor, to adore, to revere, to celebrate. And here's a call for all the nations to celebrate the true and the living God. And he, he says it, it's to be true for all the peoples. Now, where the nations are the broad understanding, the peoples are the people groups, the smaller ones, so that it, it narrows it down to almost every tribe and every dialect is called upon to, if you would, uh, praise the Lord and to extol his name, to glorify him, to honor him, to celebrate him. Now, though this psalm doesn't tell us uh, here specifically uh, how this is going to happen, uh, I would suggest to you that for the true and living God to be proclaimed and to be praised and to be worshipped and to be recognized would require and necessitate that he be made known. Because how are they going to call upon him in whom they have not heard? How are they going to praise one that they don't know nothing about? And one of the, as you know, uh, purposes that Israel had in the Old Testament, at least God had for them, was that they were to be a witness for the true and a living God among the nations. Now, what is the reason behind that? Why, why should they praise the Lord? Why should they acclaim him? Why should they celebrate God? Well, verse 2 tells us, for great is his love towards us. Now, did you catch that? Great is his love towards us, not just us in the sense of Israel or the Jewish people, but for all the peoples of the world, all the nations of the world. Uh, and and the, the, his love is great, which means it prevails. His love prevails over us, and it's towards us interesting thing about this word is that it is a Hebrew word that speaks about the, the loyal and the faithful uh, love of God being manifest. And in fact, the second thing that the psalmist highlights here, not only is God's love towards us, but also the faithfulness of the Lord that endures forever. And you know, when we speak about the faithfulness of God in Scripture, we're talking about the fact that when God uh, makes a promise, when God gives a command, when God has a plan, he will bring it to pass. He is faithful. He will fulfill his word. He will bring his plan to pass. His command will be carried out. And it's a reminder that God is always forever. Notice that word is in there, forever. God is forever true to his word. His word does not change with time. It does not change with culture. It does not change depending on what country you go to and it means something different. No, it's the same. And what is it? That God 
has a love for us. And God is faithful towards us in the promises that he's made to us. And notice this. It ends with praise the Lord. This psalm is bookend with praise the Lord. Those words hallelujah in Hebrew, which transliterated is, is literally praise the Lord. And did you know what word, interestingly, almost is universally the same in every language? Hallelujah. Did you know that? Isn't that interesting that of all the words that kind of you, you can make out in, in languages, the one that seems to be universal across the board is the word hallelujah. Isn't it interesting that this psalm is calling for the nations, the people groups, the peoples of the world to praise the Lord and a universal word for praising him is hallelujah in that way. See, the love and faithfulness of God is manifest in the greater testimony of Scripture by the giving of His Son, Jesus Christ, to be the Savior of the world. In fact, uh, the Scripture tells us that in John chapter 1 and verse 17, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized in Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. You can almost see that in some ways there's a connection between that love and faithfulness is seen in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In fact, John uh, tells us in his testimony, John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 29, when Jesus appeared on the scene and began his public ministry, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 3.16, for God so loved the that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the, but that the, through him might be saved. And in fact, it's interesting in John's gospel chapter four, when Jesus went to the people of Samaria and spoke to them concerning himself and the purposes and plans of God, did you know that the people said this concerning Jesus Christ in John's Gospel, chapter 4? And look with me at verse 42. After this woman gave her testimony of how Jesus made her things known and yet received her, verse 42 it says, They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because you said, Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world the Savior of the world. In fact, in the preaching of the apostles in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. There's only one way of salvation that God has provided, and that is in His Son, Jesus Christ. And that is not just true for you who are here this morning. That is a message that is universal for every person, people, tongue, and people group in the world. So my question this morning, before we go any further, is to ask you the question, have you received God's gift of salvation by believing and trusting in Christ alone as your Savior? You see, Jesus Christ came into the world to die for sinners, and that's all of humanity, all-inclusive. And he died on a cross for your sin and for mine, that our sins might be forgiven and atoned for and that we could be made right with God when we recognize our need and turn to Him by faith and trust Him and Him alone for salvation. 
But you might ask yourself the question, uh, well, wait a minute, this idea and this concept of global missions, uh, is, it, is it just found in that psalm? Is this, are you just kind of extrapolating out just one little theme here and building a whole theology around it? Well, no, I think that this is woven throughout the entirety of the scripture. In fact, uh, global missions begins with God. It's global. It's meant to be worldwide. And in fact, you go all the way back to Abraham, and probably even before that, but the first one that came to my mind was Abraham himself, who God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm calling you out of your, your family, and I'm calling you into a land of promise, and I'm going to make you great, Abraham. And in you, Abraham, and through you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And if you take the time to, to study that that promise that God made and that covenant that God made with Abraham, you would see that God not only chose Abraham, he chose the Jewish people, then he chose a tribe, then he chose a family, then he chose a man, a Messiah who would come into the world. And therefore we come to Matthew's gospel chapter 1 and verse 1 and it says, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the Messiah. And it's amazing that in uh, Matthew's gospel chapter uh, 18 that the, the thought is brought out of this idea of Christ being the Savior of the world as well. Matthew chapter 18. Um, if you turn with me there for a moment. Matthew chapter eight, uh, 12, excuse me. Wrong, wrong verse. Matthew 12. When, when Matthew was looking back on the ministry of Jesus, he says, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, referring to Christ. Behold, here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out until he leads justice to victory. And in verse 21, just as sure as he accomplished all these things to date, verse 21 says, and in his name, the nations, the Gentiles will put their hope. You see, Jesus Christ was the Messiah, but not just of the Jewish nation of Israel, but the Messiah and the Savior of the world. And the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 15, uh, quotes uh, this uh, concept and, and develops this concept as well of Christ being a savior for the world. Uh, and in verse 8 of chapter 15, he says, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Again, it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Verse 11, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. Does that sound familiar? You know what Paul is quoting there? He's quoting Psalm 117 and says the fulfillment of that is found in the coming and in the person and work of Jesus Christ and his name, his salvation, his good news, his gospel message being proclaimed to the ends of the earth that the Gentiles might hear that they might believe and be saved. And as with all things related to God, uh, he is the originator. 
And so missions begins with God, with God uh, himself, with God himself. Um, the second thing, though, that uh, is amazing about this, this global task that begins with God is that uh, he includes us uh, in that process as well. You know, human nature, uh, being what it is, uh, sometimes we want to be part of something that's big. Did you ever notice that? You want to be part of something big. You want to be part of a big event. You know, how many people, you know, uh, in our present day, you know, when there's a particular uh, movie or series or something like that, everybody's talking about it because they want to be part of something that's big and significant. I'm sure that, that everybody who even had a significant or insignificant little role in uh, men going to the moon at one point probably said that in dinner conversations. Well, you know, I helped work on that project. Why? Because it was something great and something grand. Uh, but did you know that God has included the believing people in his plan of salvation? In fact, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, we call it the what? The Great Commission that he's given us to go and make disciples of all the nations. He has put a commission upon us that is a God-given task. It's a God-given task to us. And think about that for a moment. Uh, we talked about this in our Sunday school class on knowing God. Imagine how you would feel if you were introduced to somebody who was uh, of significance or of high rank. And I'm going to use a, a, a king as an example today. Imagine you would like to know about that king and that royalty and, and be sort of privy to all that's going on. And in a real sense, the king of kings has included us through salvation in his work. And Packer goes on to say, uh, uh, he says, if this king lets you know him and, it, and brings you into his confidence, and starts to tell you what's on his mind and what matters are most concerned to him, and he invites you to join him in the things that he has planned and plans to undertake, he says, here's something to write home about. Here's something to live up to. And did you know, as a follower of Jesus Christ, God has included you and he's included me in his global plan to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amazingly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, we are called God's co-workers, his fellow workers. Does that strike you as amazing that God considers you as a follower of Jesus Christ, a co-worker with him in his work of making the gospel known? And the amazing thing is that the Apostle Paul says, what is Paul? What is Apollos? But just servants through whom you come to believe. It's not about us, but God chooses to use us to make known the good news of Jesus Christ. And not just among ourselves, but to the very ends of the earth. You see, this is a God-given task. And it's a God-given task that begins with God, and it should be the burden of believing hearts. It should be the burden of believing hearts. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 15 for a moment. Acts chapter 15. In the context, the early church here was wrestling with the place that the Gentile believers had among the church and how they fit into God's plan and program. 
And if you look with me at verse 13, it says they're having this conversation about how God had been using them. Uh, and and uh, James speaks up, and in verse 14 of Acts 15, he says, Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself or a people for his name. And see, they were looking at how do the Gentiles who are now coming to faith in Jesus Christ, how do they fit into God's program when, when the Messiah up to this point has just been focused upon Israel and redeeming Israel? How do they fit in? Well, God in this present age is calling out from among all the nations of the world a people for his name. And notice this. I want you to see this word here. God at first showed his concern. In some translations, you might have the word God visited, visited. Uh, it, it is a word, epikististomai, I think that's how you pronounce it from the Greek, that means to look upon something or someone in order to help that person or to benefit that person. It's the idea of, of somebody who, who comes and visits, but not just to sort of survey what's going on, but actually then to take action to help and to benefit the situation in which they visit. And I find it interesting that in Luke's gospel, Luke uses this word several different times in his writings in his gospel, that, that when, uh, when uh, Messiah was being de declared to be coming, that 168 of Luke, it says, he has come and has redeemed his people. And Luke 178, it says, the day spring or the rising sun will come and visit us from heaven. Uh, when Jesus had proclaimed uh, his, his great teaching and had done great ministry and raised someone from the dead, Luke 17, 6, it says, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited. He's come to help his people. And in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 6, it says, what is man that you care for him, that you visit him, that you're mindful of him? See, God has an interest in you and me. And he has an interest in you that, in that he wants to save you. And after he saves you, he wants to use your life to be a witness and a tool for him because he has included you in this global task. It should be the burden of believing hearts. And God visits, and in doing show, so he shows his, his care and his concern for people and for the plight of humanity. And I ask myself the question, and I ask you this morning, do you and I have God's concern God's burden for a lost world, for a lost world. David Garrick, one of the great Shakespearean actors of the past, uh, told about a day when he was walking down the streets in London, and he found a man standing on the corner just yearning over people. And Garrick said, I found myself imperceptibly working myself in until I stood right under that man and there came down from his breast hot tears. He went on to say that there was a woman there pointing and shaking her withered finger at the man who spoke and said, Sir, I have followed you since you preached this morning at 7 o'clock, and I've heard you preach five times in the streets of this city, and five times I have been wet with your tears. Why do you weep? That preacher was George 
Whitfield. And George Whitfield was a, a cross-eyed man, a severely cross-eyed man. He was made fun of and burlesqued on every English stage of his day. And he was denounced from almost every pulpit in the country. David Garrick went on to say, I listened to George Whitfield, and as I listened to him, I saw his passion and his earnestness. I knew that he meant that without Christ, men would die and men would be lost. And as I listened to him, he came to a place where he could say nothing more, and he would reach up those mighty arms and his voice almost seemed to thunder like a thunderstorm, and he would say but one final word, Oh! 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 Garrick writes, why he could break an audience with that word. When George Whitfield said, Oh, men bowed down before the Holy Spirit like corn bows under a mighty wind. Garrick went on and said, I would give my hand full of golden sovereigns if I could say, oh, like George Whitfield. I would be the greatest actor this world has ever known. The only difference was that George Whitfield was sincere. He wasn't acting. And I wonder if you and I sometimes can become so comfortable in our lives that we forget that there is a lost world out there that needs Christ. And we're no longer moved at the thought that people are lost and are on their way to a Christless eternity. You see, global missions begins with God and it's a God-given task and it's to be the burden of believing people. And see, global missions means sharing with people of every kindred, tribe, and tongue, and nation, and land the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, there's an interesting verse in Revelation chapter 14. We've looked at this in our Wednesday Bible study. But Revelation chapter 14, there's coming a day when God is going to do something that he's never done before. <laughs> You've heard the old phrase, it's never been done before. Well, here's something that's going to be never done before, at least to date, and it's this. Revelation chapter 14, look with me at verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. To date, the gospel message has been entrusted with God's believing people to be shared with every land. But there is coming a day where God is going to give this world one final opportunity to hear the message that they might believe and repent and be saved. 
And he's going to do it with an angel that's going to proclaim that everlasting gospel. And did you notice that in this message, which maybe is just a synopsis of all that he might say, but did you know that at this very end, when God is wrapping things up as we know it in history, that the focus becomes on God who is the creator God who made everything and who made you and you are to bow in worship to him. See, we have a whole world that's worshiping the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. And God gives this world one final call, if you would, to hear the gospel message and repent. Because as you read on in Revelation chapter 14, the next thing that happens is judgment falls. Judgment falls. And you know, we're moving close to that day. I'm not setting dates, but we're moving close to that day. This world is getting ready and getting ripe, if you would. Read the context for God's judgment to fall. So my friend, what are you and I doing to warn people to give them an opportunity. They may not be alive when this happens. This may be their last day on this physical earth. Have they heard the gospel message? Are you willing to give it to them? Are you willing to take up the burden of the task that God has given you and given me? See, global missions is a God-given task. It begins with God. It is the burden of believing hearts and a response for us. It behooves us. I had to come up with a B. It behooves us, which means a duty, a responsibility. It is incumbent upon us to be actively engaged in the task. Actively engaged in the task. And our involvement can include, and not excluded, not limited to these, but includes these. Number one, by prayer. By prayer. Do you ask God to stir your hearts for people who are lost? Do you pray for those that you know are apart from Christ, that God in his mercy and grace would draw them, draw them to himself? Do you pray fervently as an intercessor for those who are on the field and who are on the front lines, if you would, in lands where the gospel is outlawed, and yet there are those willing to take it there? Are you a person of prayer who prays for God's work of global missions to be accomplished? Secondly, what about financial support? Financial support. You know, the gospel can't go forward without financial support. And I know that this congregation is very generous and does give to fund the work of God. But there's always room for improvement. Uh, I leave that between you and the Lord as to what you feel that improvement might include. But for people to be able to go, they need to be funded. They need to be supported financially to be able to undertake this God-given task of global missions, of taking the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Third, what about participation? And participation means, number one, be a witness right where you are. 
be a witness right where you are. What, whatever relationships, whatever networks, whatever systems you're a part of, wherever you are, do you think in terms of how can I bear witness to Christ in this context? Now, I know that there are restraints because of work and school, but over and above that, do you pray for God to give you the opportunity to talk with others about where they are in relationship to God and the person of Jesus Christ? So it begins by, by participating right where you are. There's also opportunities for short-term mission trips. Now, not everybody can do that. I understand that. But there are opportunities for you to go beyond yourself, beyond your community, beyond your comfort zone, and be involved in uh, God's gospel going to the ends of the earth. What about participating in that way? You know, I don't know that God is calling any of you here this morning. He's not spoken to me. Maybe he'll speak to you. But, you know, there are people who, who sometimes we say in this culture they have a second career. And did you know that a lot of our missionaries now going out to the field are people who are second career people? People who come out of other jobs and work and work backgrounds and they go in to be full-time Christian workers as missionaries, as ones who are proclaiming the gospel in other lands. Maybe God would put his hand upon some of you and say, I want you to go. We'd hate to see you leave, but we would send you with the blessing and grace of God if he did that. And what about, for some of you, maybe God is putting his divine tap on the shoulder for you and saying, I'm calling you, I want you to take that message. I want you to be this to be your life's call. But I don't know where you're calling me to. Well, I'll, I'll show you when you get there. Did you know God said that to Abraham? Leave the land that you are going to the land that I'll show you. Well, where am I going, Lord? I'll tell you when you get there. You talk about faith. That required faith on Abraham's part. It requires faith on our part to answer the call of God upon our lives. Participation. What about educating ourselves? Educating ourselves in the Word of God. That we see this not just as an appeal of a pastor because it's mission conference, because that's what you do, but that this is the message of the Word of God. He wants the whole world to hear of His Son, Jesus Christ. We need to be convinced that it's God's command and commission upon us from his word that it comes from him and from his lips. But educate yourself in the word of God, but also educate yourself maybe in the countries of the world. And, and I ask you the question more pointedly, where do you have a particular interest? Do you have a particular interest in a particular place in the world? Maybe you've always been intrigued by London, England. Well, let that curiosity stir your heart so that you start to investigate and ask yourself the question, how is the gospel of Jesus Christ impacting London, England? Or it may be your family background. You know, I come from a background, as far as I know, it starts in Czechoslovakia. I wonder what God's up to in Czechoslovakia. I should look into that and report back to you. But maybe you have a particular interest in a particular part of the world where you can say, Lord, stir my heart so that I can see what you are doing there and maybe that become the focal point of some of my prayer to have the gospel go out. Maybe you would open a door for me to go there. I've always wanted to go there. So maybe you'll open the door. And when I'm there, I can share the good news of Jesus there. And then fifthly, encourage others. Encourage others. Encourage others to, to launch out and follow God's calling in their lives. 
I think that this church has done that, and there's history of that. But, but don't stop. If someone senses God's call upon their lives, your children, your, your grandchildren, a niece or a nephew, a neighborhood friend, by all means, tell them to, to pursue God in that. And may the words of the, the hymn writer be true. Give of thy sons to bear the message glorious. Give of thy wealth to speed them on their way. Pour out thy soul for them in prayer victorious. And all that thou spendest, Jesus will repay. Encourage others to follow God's calling in their lives. You see, global missions is the greatest endeavor or undertaking any believer can participate in. Can participate in. It is something bigger, something greater, something grander, something nobler than myself, the cause of Christ. And maybe that's why we have taken Jesus' words and called them the Great Commission. And just know this, that we will not finish the task, but the Lord will. The Lord will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this shared time together in your word. And the reminder, O oh God, that you not only in your grace redeem us, but in your grace you use us and include us in your work. The task of global worldwide missions of making Jesus Christ known to the ends of the earth. Father, it is our prayer that you would once again move our hearts, burden us with this task, and cause us, Lord, in even greater measure to participate in the work that you've called us to in being witnesses for Jesus Christ. May we do that, our Father, here in our own community, in our own Jerusalem. And Father, may we do it by your grace and your spirit to the ends of the earth. And Father, for the ways in which you entrust us with this task and use us, we give you our thanks and our praise and our humble worship for being included in what you're doing. And Father, we'll continue to give you thanks and praise for all things because you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.